0: Okay, that's this genius. One has a little star. Go to audible.com/replay. That's audible.com/replay and get started today. Hello. Hello. How you doing? So, I uh, I interviewed uh, President Obama last week and I'm very eager to interview another president. So, um... <laughs> 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 That's good. <laughs> uh, so I want to ask the big question. Okay. iPhone or Android? <laughs> iPhone. Okay, in
1: full disclosure? Blackberry. And a Blackberry. And I think the president told you the same thing. Yeah. Since um, I think he really loves his. Well, you know, it, it is. There are reasons why, when you start out in in Washington on a BlackBerry, you stay on it in many yeah. instances. Um, but it's also—I um, don't know—I—I I, I don't throw anything away. <laughs> I, I'm like two steps short of a hoarder. Um, <laughs> so I do. I have a, a, a you know, a an iPad, a mini iPad, an iPhone, and a Blackberry.
0: Uh-huh. Yeah. You know, if you lived in, I go to Washington a lot lately, my kids are living there, and I, I, you'd think Blackberry was the biggest company in the world from right, all right. the people there, because everybody uses it. But what about the President thing?
1: Look, if you don't tell anybody, um, I am obviously talking to a lot of people, thinking through, because mm-hmm. here's my view on this, Cara. I, I just think that we have so many big issues that we have to deal with that unless we really can come together and have a national conversation about those issues we're not going to make the progress we make and there are a lot of things that i would love to see our country do i'd like to bring people from right left red blue get them into a nice warm purple space where everybody is talking uh, and where we're actually trying to solve problems and you know that would be my objective if I decide to do this. Why wait? Announcing
0: this is all these women here in Silicon Valley, which is an anomaly. <laughs> this is an anomaly. Let me tell you. Yeah. <laughs> <Come on>. <laughs> well, <laughs> all,
1: all in good time is sort of my uh, my my response because you know there's a lot to think about. I have to tell you. I'm, I, I don't know how many of you are list makers, you know, and so I have a very long list. I'm going down it. I'm very, you know, I'm very committed to go down it, but I haven't checked off the last couple of things here. So I guess if
0: I ask you Queens or Brooklyn for the announcement, you're not going to (laughs) tell me, right? Okay. Um, If you were to run, Hmm. what would be the central parts of a campaign for you? You're talking about there's a lot of things, the purple thing, I get that, but what would be the central thing that you'd want? Well, to- let, me,
1: let me answer it this way by saying whoever runs, here's what I hope the central thing is, okay. because we have to restore economic growth with rising wages for the vast majority of Americans, and we have to restore trust and cooperation within our political system so that we can act like the great country we are. And those two things, it, it seems to me, are actually related, because, uh, you know, there are some steps that business has to take. You know, We heard Renee talking about what Intel's gonna do, I talked about you know, Google, and we have, to, we have to have businesses take a hard look, like how can they expand opportunity, be more inclusive, that's part of it. But we also have to figure out how we can have a, uh, a, f- a foundation in our economy again that makes people feel that their hard work and effort will be rewarded. Because productivity is actually up, People are working longer hours than many had to work in the past, but there's just no uh, increase in their wages that demonstrates they're respected, appreciated... What, what
0: could a supposed president do to fix that? Well, I think that, you know... Actually, I'm going to call you the alleged president. Yeah.
1: <laughs> well, I mean, this is, you know, this is where I'm supposed to say stay tuned. I can, right. you know. But what I would say is this is why we need to figure out how to go after this problem. And some of it is a bottom-up issue, like the minimum wage. Some of it is a fairness and equity issue, like equal pay for equal work, like paid leave so that people can actually stay in the workforce. Women are not because they want to, but because they have to dropping out of the workforce in many instances, thereby you know, diminishing their income. So there are certain steps that a government can and should take, and in the past, you've seen a government sort of shore that up and then there are ways that we have to recast our thinking you know so much about the the rise in productivity without the rise in wages has to do with decisions that businesses are making and a lot of businesses say to me look we are under tremendous pressure quarterly pressure we have to meet certain targets um, and we just don't have the leeway, and my response is, well then we need to create that leeway. How do we look at what's happening in corporate governance, uh, in how the incentives work within uh, you know, the corporate world today, and figure if there isn't some way we can help the good guys so that they can actually do more for their employees? And I, I know I'm looking at can a lot you, of different can, approaches. Can you
0: actually create jobs? Because a lot you referenced it, in, and many Silicon Valley people reference it, is that there are going to be fewer jobs and that things become automated. Well, let me
1: give you two quick quick examples. One, look at the enormous numbers of jobs that technology created starting in the 90s, Mm -hmm. right? I mean, it was a huge explosion, not just in tech companies, but Across. across the board. And now we've got to figure out, are we hitting a ceiling because with increased innovation, automation, we're not able to create more jobs, or is there more that we can do in order to promote uh, job creation. But it's not just job creation, it has to be with a rising wage and opportunity ladder. Energy is a huge opportunity. Energy efficiency jobs are woefully underrepresented in the economy. Now there are things that both utility companies and governments at local, state, federal level could do to encourage more jobs that would move us toward more renewable energy. We've done a bit of it, but we haven't done near enough of it. Uh, and so there is, a, there is an area where it's sitting right there and we're not doing everything we could. We don't have a level playing field. We still highly subsidize non-renewable, non-clean energy. We should have a much more um, open competitive field so that energy efficiency, solar, geothermal, uh, wind, all of that is on a stronger foundation and we will create more jobs.
0: Right. Let's talk about the um, what do you think why do you think we need a woman president? I'm Just curious. <laughs> well, Besides she'd be better. Again,
1: like speaking hypothetically.
0: Yeah. Um, well, you know we can say President Warren if you want, but Elizabeth Warren well, but Yeah, you know I I think whoever
1: it is or should be, we need to make sure that all the talent in our country is represented. But Would there
0: be a different president being a woman? Do you think that's...
1: Well, I can only speak both for myself and for my experience, but having been in the Senate and having seen the difference that women in the Senate made, the most famous example, and it's literally hard to believe right now, um, but in the 70s and 80s, Women were not used as subjects in clinical trials by the National Institutes of Health and in fact big trials on breast cancer did not include women patients and I I know it's so sad, right? And so along came somebody like Barbara Mikulski and others um, who were determined to lead on and they changed that. Now that's a specific example and there are many others where The experience of being a woman, the ability to see what others might not see as either gender discrimination or marginalization gives us a chance to speak up, to be heard, and to make changes. You know, when I was first lady, I worked with a lot of the breast cancer advocates to continue on breast cancer because it was one of the most egregious examples. And we kept seeing how research for the causes, prevention of breast cancer, kept being cut. And so I worked with Um, a lot of these advocates and we put a breast cancer research program into the Defense Department budget Mm -hmm. because it wouldn't be cut. Now we had to keep saving it because people found it and and tried to cut it but but that's the kind of difference that when you sit and talk and this is bipartisan you know women on both sides of the aisle they have these these views and we had some of the best times we had dinners every month together they were totally off the record they were not political. We would say, well, what are you working on? How can we help? And so it was, it was what you would hope your elected officials would do together. And I think there's a lot more of that. And, you know, women in public life do bring uh, that perspective, which we need. Well,
0: Why do you think? Uh, let's get to Silicon Valley. You talked about Roseanne Arquette's uh, statement at the Oscars, the wage uh, inequalities those numbers you quoted for Google, it's every single company in Silicon Valley. It's yeah. essentially white dudes and a couple of right. ladies. Right, right. Um, how, how do you, what do you think about that? This is supposed to be our most fast-forward uh, uh, right. industry, the one where all the jobs are, but it's completely... Yeah, well, you know, I th- I, I've thought a lot about it, and, and I think,
1: you know, there are, I'll overgeneralize, but three big reasons. One, this pipeline problem, you know, when you had more women getting computer science degrees in the 80s by a factor of two plus than you do now, that kinda lets people off the hook. Mm -hmm. You know, Why aren't more girls and women going into this field? What was different about being a, a high school or college student in the 80s than it is today? And I think we need to unpack that. And we have to do more to create opportunities for girls to have access to uh, computer science, programming, coding experiences to kind of light those uh, interests in them. And then, secondly, I do think you have to recognize that, you know, in, in uh, technology, which has just exploded over the last 20 years, it's been a, a very uh, almost Wild West uh, environment. And I think a lot of women find that. Uh, you know, distasteful, un, uh, unappealing to be in a you know, situation sort of resembling a locker room in some ways, where you just feel like you're. It's hard to get you know your your voice in. It's hard to be heard. It's like that classic tale where you say something in a meeting and nobody pays attention, and then 20 minutes later, a man says it and everybody thinks he's a genius. And I've had that experience a lot of times. And. You just have to, you know, you have to kind of gird up and you therefore need support systems like the Watermark or like this conference because it's not easy if you poke your head above the parapet if you're in technology, politics, and a lot of other areas. And the third thing is I think that, you know, companies should be... um, held to account. I mean, you need shareholders and executives and customers and others to say, hey, you can do better than 83% male." But
0: how do you do that? Right now, there's a trial going on. It opened today. A, a big Silicon Valley venture from Kleiner Perkins lawsuit around about gender discrimination. Very tough case, both sides not settling. Right. How do you call, how do you stop the systematic and the environmental qualities that create that locker room? And how do you, how do you imagine? That shifting because right. everyone says, "Oh, we shouldn't have it," and then there it is. Or well, the women are not on the boards, or women are not.
1: Look, I, I think that it requires both men and women to speak up and speak out about this. And I, I, I think for you know for men, it's always fascinating. You know, when when you talk to groups of uh, you know men in tech or any other industry. It's almost inevitable, in my experience, that they, it, some of them will tell me how great their daughters are mm-hmm. and how well their daughters are doing and what their daughters hope to become. And I always say, well, don't you want your daughter to be able to go as far as she can go in whatever field she chooses? Oh, of course. Well, you're a, you know, you're a bank, you're a big corporation, you're this, you're that you better pay attention to the kind of environments that educated young women are going into and maybe raise questions about it so men have to be more sensitive to more interested in creating this environment and if you can't get them on the daughter side of the argument you know try to get them on the fact that we now are amassing evidence that corporations with women on boards actually do better they have a higher ROI they are consistently you know more successful and so we, we have some both personal and some statistical data to back it up, but then I think for women, that's why I ended by talking about how we have to support each other more. And this is a constant challenge, uh, and we need to be willing to stand up for other women, to raise questions about how other women are being treated. Um, I remember all those years ago when I was in this law firm, around three o'clock every secretary, every administrative assistant, every woman paralegal would be on the phone trying to make sure their kid got home safely because the kids were coming home. They were what we called them then latchkey kids and they wanted to make sure their kids were safe. And they were whispering in the phone because you're not supposed to make personal phone calls at business. And I finally went to the partner and said, this is absurd, you should have a, a window of opportunities. Women work so hard, they're great you know, members of our team. So you, you need to pick up on what's happening, and not just among your peers, but you know, women who may not have the power and position you do. And then finally, develop a thick skin. I mean, you know, my favorite predecessor, Eleanor Roosevelt, you know, said that women in the public arena have to grow skin as thick as the hide of a rhinoceros, and you have to be prepared. You know, try to think ahead of the smart thing you'll say if somebody makes a an offensive comment to you instead of what we all do which is you sit there shocked and then at in bed at night you think oh i wish i'd said this (laughs) sort of have a stock of those that you kind of carry around with you and throw out and you know kind of say oh take that you know you're pretty good at that actually well
0: you know i've had a lot of practice i mean i start i mean really um but would you put, would you put this idea of child care at the center of an administration, that this, that a real center and not yes, a sort yes. of side way? No, have, look, I think, I did think, you do enough in the last campaign to, to bring it to the center? You know, many a, say you didn't. Well, you know,
1: I've heard that and, and I, I certainly am trying to learn from what I did right and what I didn't uh, in, in thinking through, you know, doing this again. Um, I think that the family issues, sort of putting families first, creating, you know, more supportive work environments so that, if you do that, what what people find, I mean, is that women who get treated well are such loyal employees. They will stay with the company. They will work double time. They will do everything they can to make the enterprise that, Supported them successful, so this is not a nice thing to do. This is a win-win. Um, so I, I think that child care, these these family issues, are now
0: bubbling to the top of the list on people's minds. Okay, so let's talk a little bit about some of the issues around the tech sector. We talked backstage. Um, net neutrality is they're yes. going to vote on it Thursday. The president's right. been rather aggressive right. about uh, right. yeah, making w- a utility. Do you think it should be a utility? Well, here's what I here's what I think. I think that it. For
1: the FCC to do what they want to do, to try to- Regulate it like a phone. Create net neutrality as the norm, mm-hmm. um, they have to have a hook to hang it on, and so they're hanging it on Title
0: II Do you like the, that hook? Well, it's the only hook they've got. I don't yeah, know what- Yeah, but what hook would you like? I mean, well, because- you have to- cr- Because the, your husband's administration and the Bush administration before were much hands-off in that regard. Well,
1: you know, it-, it You you see how things develop. I mean, it wasn't really a threat until relatively recently. I think I gave my first statement about net neutrality about eight or nine years ago, and uh, we know how important it is because of concentration and the industry and the like. But I think that if there were another hook, it would come out of a modern 21st century uh, telecom technology act, and we don't have that, and we're not likely to get it. Should
0: this vote happen that way? Oh yeah, absolutely. No, should you? Would you vote for that? Yes, I would.
1: Right. Yes, I would. that that act. But what about
0: the one the FCC is about to?
1: I would. I would vote for net neutrality because, as I understand it, it's Title II with a lot of changes within it in order to avoid the worst of the utility regulation. So, it's a foot in the door. It's a it's a value statement. I think the president is right to be uh, upfront and out front on that. But it's not the end of the. Uh, the discussion. I mean, we need to do more about how the spectrum is allocated. We need to do more about how we incentivize more competition uh, in broadband. We need to figure out how to treat, you know, connectivity as a uh, infrastructure development. There's a lot of other aspects, so it's not just net neutrality, standing alone, end of debate, Um, and that should be part of a a really smart uh legislative uh endeavor but I don't think people believe that can happen in the short term
0: okay what about encryption right now apple and google are fighting the government right do you have a side in this which which I mean uh, the president was sort of I was for it until I was against it kind of thing like it, yeah you know where do you feel on encryption do you feel these companies should be able to encrypt these phones well i think that
1: you have a classic hard choice. You know, I wrote a, a book called Hard Choices, and it's not a, it's not a dodge or a feint, because I think that what we're missing is people are kind of in their corners arguing about, you know, liberty versus security, instead of saying, look, we all want to have privacy for the end user. That's what the companies are responding to. They're trying to be able to tell their customers, we're gonna protect your data. Um, but we also, don't want to find ourselves in a position where uh, it's a legitimate security threat we're facing, and we can't figure out how to address it because we have no way in to whatever is holding the information. And we also are not operating in a vacuum. We know that other countries are taking their own steps to, you know, monitor the internet, control the internet, which you know, which we're not. But what we've got to figure out is how you get the right balance. So. Encryption is a part of protecting people's legitimate right to privacy. How would
0: you, how would you address Google and Apple if you were the president?
1: Well, I've, I've talked to some of the, um, the leaders in technology, some of the executives of these companies, and I think that's the, the way to start, not a, you know, a real conversation where we say, look, here's our problem. If you were sitting in my seat, if all of a sudden some president said, okay, Mr. or Miss X, We want you to be uh, the head of the uh, counterterrorism or the the new cyber warfare, something that takes advantage of your expertise. So you're sitting in these meetings that the president and I and others have sat in, and we can see the sequencing where we know people are in contact and where we have both human intelligence and some uh, technology-enabled intelligence, and we know there's something going to happen, and we're trying to figure out how to get through the door that has been locked. So I think the conversation rather than, you know, you don't understand privacy and you don't understand security ought to be okay, let's figure out how we're gonna do this. So I don't have the answer. I would be the first to say I don't have the answer. I think there are really strong legitimate arguments on both sides and what I would like to see is more of the kind of brainstorming that but I've had issue good fortune to do. of
0: contention was the NSA. Would you throttle back the NSA in the ways that President Obama had promised and then hasn't come to pass?
1: Well, I think the, I mean, look, I think the NSA needs to be more transparent about what it is doing, sharing with the American people, uh, which it wasn't, and I think a lot of the reaction about the NSA, what people felt betrayed, they felt like, wait, you know, you didn't tell us you were doing this, and all of a sudden now, you know, we're reading about it on the front page, and, and we're getting hammered by our customers and by You know, other countries that, I I would say, very hypocritically Mm -hmm. um, are going after our companies because, you know, I know for a fact that there's not a country out there that doesn't do anything they can do to get an advantage, and they do things we would never do, like industrial espionage, like stealing intellectual property, and so there's a lot that's going on in this space, and so when you say, well, would you thrive, I mean, the NSA has to act lawfully, and we as a country have to decide what the rules are. And then we have to make it absolutely clear we're going to hold them accountable. And what we had because of post 9-11 legislation was a lot more flexibility than I think people really understood and was not explained to them. And you know, I voted against the FISA amendments in 2008 because I didn't think that they went far enough to kind of hold
0: hold us accountable in the Congress for figuring out what was so going by on. by flexibility you mean too much spying power, really?
1: Well, yeah, but, you, but how much is too much and how much is not enough? I mean, that, that's the hard part. I mean, I think if, if Americans felt like, number one, you're not going after my personal information, the content of my personal information, but I do want you to get the bad guys, because I don't want them to use, this, use social media, use uh, you know, communications devices invented right here, uh, to plot against us, so let's draw the line. And I think it's hard if if everybody's in their corner. So I resist saying, you know, do you, it has to be this or that. I want us to come to a better balance.
0: Do you think Edward Snowden was a traitor in revealing that?
1: I can never condone what he did. And I think he, um, you know, he stole millions of documents. And the, you know, the great irony is, The vast majority of those documents had nothing to do with American civil liberties, privacy, or anything affecting um, us here at home. They were about information we had vis-a-vis China, Russia, Iran, others. And then he fled to China, then he ends up in Russia. Um, So, you know, the President had given a speech before Snowden's disclosures, laying out some of these issues that we needed to address. So people were beginning to take a deep breath after you know, a decade of 9-11 reaction, and the president was sort of leading that, and then along comes Snowden, and you know, puts forth information into the public domain that people are entitled to know, but I think it's fair to say um, a lot of it was nothing to do but the subject we're talking about, but very damaging to our national security uh, vis-a-vis countries that do their very best to gather information about us.
0: All right, two more, th- couple more topics. ISIS, disturbing ISIS. videos. They're using social media, creating yeah. terror. There yeah. is, has, has the administration done enough to tackle the problem? And what would you do more to deal with them? Well, you know, again, how much
1: time do we have? I think uh, not, not enough. As <laughs> much as you want. Yeah, I, you know, look,
0: we can sit Okay, here then let me
1: start with this. Um, uh, ISIS is the manifestation of. Uh, a movement that is incredibly uh, fueled by a an obsession to control territory, to uh, reestablish, as they say, a, a caliphate, that would be uh, governed by people with a very uh, retrograde view of uh, everything about women, everything I care about, everything about due process or rights or anything. We know that. So why, are they, why did they get a foothold? Well, first of all, they are the successor to what was called Al Qaeda in Iraq. Al Qaeda in Iraq was a uh, Al Qaeda affiliate that was based in the Sunni regions within Iraq and was fighting the Shiite forces uh, in Iraq during the American involvement in Iraq. They were so brutal at that time that it provided the opportunity for a lot of the Sunni uh, tribal uh, sheikhs and and community leaders to band against them, to come together to try to drive them out of Anbar province and, uh, and out of the Sunni dominated regions and they were successful in doing so because they finally decided that the enemy of my enemy is my friend didn't work because these people were so brutal, so beyond the pale. So they effectively squashed them and then the United States turned over Iraq to uh, the elected leadership uh, of then Prime Minister Maliki and he proceeded to alienate all of the Sunni leaders and citizenry purged the army of uh, Sunni officers, generally behaved in a sectarian, exclusive, oppressive way. And so these shoots that had been suppressed began to pop through the surface. Meanwhile, next door in Syria, you have all kinds of extremist groups taking advantage of the vacuum there. And one of them morphed into uh, ISIS and was able to recruit former officers in the Saddam Hussein army as well as foreign fighters, as well as very hardened combat experienced jihadists and were able to gather up a lot of resources by breaking into banks and stealing everything in them, by stealing oil and selling it on the black market, et cetera. And they did something that up until now no other Um, extremist group has done as effectively and that is use social media. So all of a sudden it wasn't just like, oh my gosh, those people are killing each other over there again. It was, oh my gosh, they're threatening us. They are recruiting kids from uh, United States, Canada, Europe, elsewhere. They are threatening uh, to expand their territorial grasp. They are really uh, a metastasizing danger. So therefore, we have to work with our partners in the region to try to uh, diminish and eventually eradicate the threat because it does affect us. How, not but just how?
0: That. How do you think enough is being done?
1: Well, I think that it's, <clears throat> it you know, it's a very, it's a very, it's a very hard challenge because you can't very well um, put American or Western troops in to fight this organism. You have to use. Um, not only air force, but also army soldiers from the region and particularly uh, from Iraq. And so what Americans are doing now is helping to retrain the Iraqi army after it was really decimated by Maliki, trying to get leadership back in within the Sunni regions, trying to integrate them so the Sunnis feel they have a stake in the future, supporting the Kurds because the Kurdish Peshmerga are Right now, certainly the best fighting force. It's, a, it's like three, four, five-dimensional chess. So yes, I think a lot of the right moves are being made, but this is a really complicated and long-term problem, because remember, we've got Al-Qaeda in Yemen, we've got Boko Haram in North Africa, we've got terrorist groups from you know the Sinai uh, through Libya and south into Mali. This, this is a long term struggle. So, Are you sure you want to be president there? Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, yeah. every, every time has its own problems. So yeah, that's the, these true. happen to be so, some of two ours. Two more
0: very quick questions. If you could wave a wand to change anything about this country, what would it be? One oh, thing. Oh, oh, that's so hard. And not another season of Downton Abbey or something like that. Can...
1: Well, I hope that happens without me waving a magic wand. Um, <laughs> You know, that we could get back to working together cooperatively again, that we could get out of our, um, you know, our, our, our mindsets, our partisan bunkers. Um, you know, we've come so far. We still have lots to do on ending, you know, sexism and racism and homophobia and all kinds of you know, really bad issues that we've had to confront and we have work still to do, but you know, we're, we're, we're making a lot of progress. But nobody wants to associate with anybody who doesn't agree with them politically. I mean, you, just, you, you can't have a conversation. People won't listen to each other. They listen to different media, and those different media tell different stories about the very same thing that you're watching unfold in front of your eyes. You cannot run a great country like that, and this is the greatest country, and we need to start acting like it and working uh, you, like it again. Do you think you've become less polarizing? Because yeah, I, I, obviously I think I have. I mean, I think that, you know, I was a little bit surprised. I mean, when I was First Lady of Arkansas, um, I worked on a lot of really controversial issues in education and health, and I, you know, I worked with people across the aisle worked with people of different philosophies because within the Democratic Party in those days there were lots of very conservative Democrats. Uh, And then I go to Washington and all of a sudden it's considered just an incredible shock that somebody like me who's been an advocate, been involved in so many movements for so long, would actually have an opinion about something like health care for everybody or whatever it might be. So I, I think there was some back and forth there that I had to understand better, and, and I have certainly tried to do that when I ran for the Senate. You know That was something that uh, I stressed, and when I worked in the Senate, I was very much somebody who would work across the aisle, look for opportunities to do that, because I don't think I have all the right ideas. I don't think my party has all the right ideas. I think there are good ideas in lots of places, but if you don't talk to each other, you don't listen to each other, and in Washington, you don't spend time with each other because You fly in, you vote, 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 and then you fly out to go raise money. And I'll just end with this because I I know we're running out of time. I was so proud of my friend, Patty Murray, the senator from Washington, who when the government was shut down a year or so ago, she was the chair of the budget committee. And so they shut the government down and then they reopen it, but they basically say, we have to pass a budget. And they turn to Patty and they say, okay, well you're the chair of the budget committee, go work out a budget. So Patty worked with Paul Ryan, the former vice presidential nominee for Mitt Romney, congressman from Wisconsin, and they actually talked to each other. They didn't show up at a big conference table with phalanxes of true believers on each side of them with you know notebooks filled with argumentation. They had breakfast together. They had lunch together. They'd sit and talk about what each of them wanted, knowing that they couldn't agree on giving each other everything, but how could they make enough decisions to reach a consensus? And they did. So it's possible, and it requires relationship building. You know, a lot of people that I have really serious disagreements with, I found ways to work together, and I got to know better.
0: Um, and, you know, that's, that's kind of lost. So this is, as you can tell, one of my so, pet peeves here. So my last question, I asked this, this is the president. last question. If you could have a hashtag for the next few years, and you can't do <laughs> grandmother knows best. I've used that one. That's such a good one. And, um, but you, can do any, you could do Hillary 2016 if you want. But um, <laughs> <laughs> just offering a suggestion. I love hashtag, I love selfies, I, whatever. Um, what would it be? Your hashtag. Oh my gosh. Lead on. (laughs) All right, thank thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you all.